We are continuing with our study in Revelation. If this is your first or second week, you're probably like, holy cow, this is heavy. We don't always go this hard, but we always go deep into the Word of God. And so if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 17 and 18 today. Last week we talked about chapter 15 and 16, and we really hammered like just the incredible patience of God, even though we read about these seven bowls of wrath that come from the Lord and completely destroy the world in the end times. What, what got me was that God has been so patient throughout the ages that he has allowed so much to happen and still he is allowing for people to come to repentance and to know him. We're going to continue that today as we read chapter 17 and 18. We're going to read about this world that God is pouring his wrath upon. If you looked at this story chronologically, it would actually kind of jump from chapter 16 to chapter 19. And so what we're talking about today is kind of an interlude saying, okay, so the end is coming, but let me tell you why. Let me tell you about the world that needs to be ended because of what's going on in it. These chapters are going to describe for us two Babylons. There is a religious Babylon that is taking place, and there is a political economic Babylon that is taking place. And the idea of Babylon goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 11, when a guy named Nimrod, yes, that was his real name, started a city called Babylon, and he had this great idea, him and his cronies, that they would build a tower that would go all the way to heaven, and they could battle God. And they could reach the stars. And so if you know the story, you know that that ends up being the moment where God kind of sees what happens when people all work together against him. And he just spreads them. Different languages, different people groups all over the world. And so there's this idea of Babylon that starts all the way back in Genesis chapter 11 of man coming together to deify themselves, to become their own gods, to pursue only what they deem pleasurable. That starts then and then it goes on. And in the end of the time, that will happen again. And there will be this new Babylon. And there will be two distinct aspects, a religious part and a political. And this chapter is going to call this Babylon, and I'm sorry, if I'm going to say the word prostitute a lot today. Okay, this is why I didn't do this sermon on Mother's Day, if you remember. That was the original plan, and I was like, not doing that. Okay. This whole chapter talks about the great prostitute of Babylon, the great harlot, whatever word you want to use. And this chapter talks about Babylon, the original, being the mother of all prostitutes. What does that mean? Well, from the beginning, when man becomes, when it tries to start its own religion that, that deifies itself, That becomes the mother of all false religions for the rest of history. And so all of it starts there. And so there's this idea that from that point, all of these false religions went out all over the world. But in the end, all of them will come back together. And we're going to get to that. Prostitution in the Old Testament is almost always synonymous with the idolatry of people against God. Cheating on God with false gods. If you read... Jeremiah chapter 3, there's this verse that says, The Lord said to me in the days of King Josiah, Have you seen what she did, Israel, that faithless one? 
how she went up on every high hill and every under every green tree and there played the whore. If you ever read the book of Hosea, the entire book is about a man named Hosea that feels called by God to marry a prostitute named Gomer. If you're having a baby girl anytime soon, think about that name. Really good name. <laughs> named Gomer. And throughout their whole marriage, she cheats on him again and again and again. She plays the whore. And God calls Hosea to love her and to pursue her anyways. And the whole thing is very clearly connected to the relationship between Israel and God. That they have cheated again and again and been unfaithful again and again. And yet God continues to pursue them and love them. And all of that leads us into chapter 17. If you have your Bible, if you have a device, or you can read it on the screen, we're going to read the first six verses of chapter 17 to start out. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away into the spirit of the earth, sorry, into the spirit, into a wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names. And it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was, an, was written a name of mystery, Babylon the great, mother of prostitutes and of the earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. So this is the part of Revelation where a lot of people start saying like, dude, what, what are you talking about? Prostitutes and seven heads and ten horns. And so we're going to try to unpack what this means because I think it can get really intimidating for us to try to figure all this out, but I think we can. One of the angels, if you remember last week, there were seven angels that came and poured out bowls of wrath. Well, now one of those angels come to John, the guy who's writing Revelation, and he says, let me show you why all this is happening. Why this world needs to have wrath poured upon it. And like I said before, prostitution represents, in the Bible, idol worship, the worship of false gods. And in the end times, there's going to be this world religious system that will arise and become the dominant religious system under the leadership of the Antichrist. And it says to us that this prostitute, which is this religion, this world religion is the prostitute. And it says that she is seated on many waters. This speaks of power that this religion has all over the world, all over many people and tongues and tribes and nations. And I also wonder... This is just the thought I had. I wonder if it's speaking about this idea that's becoming more and more pervasive today that all, all streams lead to the same place, right? It doesn't matter what you believe, doesn't matter what goes on. If you're on this path, eventually you'll lead to the same place. And I think this is a part of this idea of this world religion that's going to take place. Everybody's just going to say, hey, it doesn't really matter. As long as you're a decent person, Everything's going to lead you this direction. And this is patently false because Jesus tells us he is the only way. He is the truth and the life. And then we see that there's these kings of the earth. 
meaning the leaders of nations that have aligned themselves with the prostitute. And all of the people who dwell on the earth will become inebriated on the harlot's wine, right? So the Antichrist has this world religion and he convinces everybody, this is it, everybody get on board. They are drunk on this power, this message of false religion. And then we see in that verse 3, the scene changes suddenly and the harlot who's this religious system, is seated on the back of a scarlet beast. Right? If you've been with us for a few weeks, you know the beast represents the Antichrist. And so why is the religious system, the harlot, sitting on the back of the beast? Because the beast is going to carry that religious system into the world. The beast, the Antichrist, is going to be the, the one who encourages everybody at first to be a part of this system. It will ride upon its back. But we're going to see later in this chapter that eventually that beast will devour the prostitute. Not willing to share any of the worship, he will destroy this religious system because he will say, I am the only one worthy of worship. Now I know this would come as a shock to you, but sometimes politicians might use religion to get what they want. And it's going to continue. But for now, we see this this harlot, this religious system, is seeking to destroy the true followers of God. If you saw that in verse 6, it's, And I saw the woman drunk on the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. This religious system, this Babylon religion, is going to set itself directly opposed to the people of Jesus in the end times. Those who have come to know God through this tribulation period. This religious system will become incredibly destructive to anyone who declares the name of Jesus. And so we're going to continue. Verse 6, kind of right in the middle of verse 6, B. This is a long chunk through verse 18. When I saw her, this is John speaking, I marveled greatly. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and the beast with the seven heads and ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers in the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. There are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet to come. And when he does come, he must remain only a little while. As for the beast that was and is not and is the eighth, but belongs to the seven and it goes to destruction. This is so confusing. Just so you know, if you're like, what? You're right, okay? (laughs) And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received the royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. These are of one mind, and they hand over the power and authority to the beast. They will make war on the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them, for he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings. And those with him are called and chosen and faithful. And the angel said to me, The waters that you saw, where the prostitute is seated, are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And the ten horns you saw, they are the beasts. They and the beasts will hate the prostitute, and they will make her desolate and naked, and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. 
And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. Okay. Tons there. The angel explains further to John the meaning of these things that he's seeing. Obviously, the beast is the Antichrist. And he's described three times in there in this weird way. It says, the beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottom plate, or was and is not and is not to come. It's a very weird thing. But it's probably an intentional play on the idea of Jesus as the one who is and was and is to come. Remember, Satan never does anything creative. He's always just trying to mimic God in an evil way. And so he has his kind of antichrist and messiah figure that comes and is trying to be like Jesus but is the total opposite. And so he is but wasn't and isn't to come. It's the complete opposite. And then that part, it says he was the eighth, but he was kind of the seventh. Did you catch that part? This goes back to the idea we talked about weeks ago where there's going to be this false resurrection where everyone sees the Antichrist they, and they think he's dead and then he comes back from the dead and it's not a real resurrection, it's, it's, it's false. And so like, is he seventh leader? Is he eighth? Because he's, he's new and I thought, because I'm a nerd, I thought well, this is like Lord of the Rings. Gandalf was the gray, now Gandalf is the white. It's still Gandalf, but is it Gandalf? I don't know. If you haven't seen those movies, you're like, what? If you haven't seen those movies, What? And then the angel speaks of the seven heads of the beast. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. There are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, one is not yet to come. And when he does, he must remain only a little while. There's a little bit of this kind of already but not yet happening here. It says there's seven kings, which represents two things, seven hills and seven kings. The people that read this, story initially would have understood when he's talking about seven hills he's talking about rome rome was the city built on seven hills everyone knew it they knew that name so he's talking about rome and right now while this is being written rome is the government that is oppressing the people of god but it's not the first and it won't be the last and so he says there's seven kings five of whom have fallen one that is and one that is to come. And so as he's talking about this, most Bible scholars believe what he's talking about is there have been these major world government religions who have oppressed the people of God. There was Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece. All five of those have been kingdoms that have come and gone and were oppressive to the people of God. As he's writing it, Rome is the one. This is the one that is. And then he says, and there is one to come, which is the kingdom of the Antichrist. And so throughout all of this time, there's all of these groups of people that have been oppressive and destructive to the people of God. And, and John is seeing these visions, and he's trying to figure out, how do I put all of this into words? Thankfully, the Holy Spirit is helping him do that, and they're watching all this happen. And he's saying, we are under this oppressive regime right now, the city on the seven hills, but there is another one that is to come with the beast. And then it says that that kingdom will rule only for a little while. Right? If you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about the tribulation time, that there's only going to be three and a half years or 42 months that that last kingdom reigns over the earth. And then it tells us about the ten horns. Another thing, we're like, what is ten horns? 
Well, it tells us. The angel gives us, he says it's ten kings, it's ten leaders that will serve the Antichrist. They will take all of their power and they will give it to the Antichrist and say, we will follow you. We don't know who this is right now. When the European Union formed years ago, most people were like, that's it. It's, it's happening. We don't know that. Could be. We look for those things. We watch them. But there was a lot of people that were convinced. And whenever I talk about that, I'm like, I would say, imagine if you were living in Europe in the 1940s. You would have been 100% convinced. This is it. That dude's the Antichrist. This is everything. Like, it's, it's done. We don't know. But we watch for the signs. We watch for what's going on. And we continue to do that. But here's something I don't want you to miss in all this, because we, you can fly over verse 17 really quickly, and we can get really freaked out about all this. But read 17 with me again. For God has put into their hearts to carry out this purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. God is in control of all of this. The world is not spinning out of control. He's not sitting back there and being like, oh, what's going on? God has put it into the hearts of these men who have already hardened their hearts against him. And he says, I will use you to bring about my kingdom. We don't have to live in fear of this. We don't have to be terrified of this because God is doing all of it. And even when that final kingdom comes, it will be a brief rule and Jesus will come again to earth and he will utterly and effortlessly destroy this kingdom that has set itself up against him. I know we read Revelation and some people will read it and just be like, I don't even like reading that. It's scary. It is. But God is in control of it all. And he's using all of it to bring about his kingdom. So Revelation 17 talks about this religious system, that there will be this religious system that everybody starts to buy into. And I believe this is just my thought. Like, it's going to be this whole just kind of everything is all good. Everything, you know, universalism, all roads lead to one place. Just coexist and don't ever tell anybody they're wrong. There's going to be this whole idea. And this becomes the world religious system. And the only person that's wrong is anybody who says that they are right and you're wrong. So this is going to build up. It's going to become this world religious system and it, sh- it too shall fail. But then Revelation 18 talks about another Babylon. It's this political economic system. We talked about weeks ago the mark of the beast, how there will come a time where if you don't have the mark of the beast, whether it's in your forehead or your hand, you're not going to be able to buy or sell anything. You can't even take part in society without that. So it's going to become this entire economic system. And Revelation 18 talks about that. And Revelation 18 is an interesting chapter because a lot of Bible scholars have called it a funeral song or a dirge for Babylon. You guys ever heard a funeral dirge? If you look at this chapter, you can see if you have your Bible in front of you, it's written in a poetic form as a song, as a poem. And it's a dirge to the death of Babylon. In verse eight, chapter 18, verses 1 through 3, we'll start it. And you'll see right from the beginning, this is not a happy song. This is a Taylor Swift breakup song. Not really. Okay. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice. Here's the song starts. 
fallen, fallen is the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her. And the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. This is simply heaven declaring that the entire Babylonian system is going down. Fallen, fallen is Babylon because it has become a home to all sorts of evil. It says it's become a, a home to all kinds of demons, a dwelling place. And the word dwelling place isn't just like that's where they are. It's where they dwell. It's where they make their residence. Earlier in Revelation chapter 9, we saw the Euphrates River, 200 million demons were released into the world from that place, and they have descended upon Babylon. It's known for its sexual immorality that is impacting the entire world, and the people who are in power in this system are living luxurious and lavish lives of greed. And the whole world will grow increasingly hedonistic, based solely on pursuing pleasure and whatever we feel like we want and if you're anything like me, you're thinking, wait, that's happening now. It is, but it's going to continue to. More and more, the world will say, forget morality of any kind. There is no right. There is no wrong. Just do whatever makes you happy. If it makes you happy, it can't be that bad, right? This is going to continue on more and more. And this system is going to encourage it. And then we hear another voice from heaven. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues, for her sins are heaped as high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning, since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. For this reason her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire, for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. Here God is calling all of the people who are living in this world at that time to come out of the system. It says, don't, don't live in this Babylonian system because if you're there, you might receive the plague too because you might fall into this system. Just like Paul warns us and everybody in Romans chapter 12, he says, do not be conformed to this world. Because if you're just conformed, then you're just going to fall right in with everybody else. This is a call on our lives today as much as it is in the end times. Come out of this world that is just continuing to pursue more and more of just whatever makes you feel pleasure. Verse 5 is a really interesting one. Did you notice it says, for her sins are heaped as high as heaven. Remember the original Babylon? They thought that they could build a tower to heaven. So God says here, the only thing that's going to be heaped up to heaven is your sin. It's an interesting little gotcha. 
In the next section here in chapter 18, we're going to see that those who have lived in power and luxury and lavishness and all of this, they will lament the fall of Babylon. But I want you to notice, they're not lamenting sin. They are not lamenting what they've done to the world or the brokenness that they've caused. All they are lamenting is the loss of their own pleasure, the loss of their own prosperity. Verse 9, And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. And they will stand far off in fear of her torments and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn for her since no one buys their cargo anymore. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble. Cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, and sheep, horses and chariots and slaves, that is, human souls. The fruit for which your soul long has gone from you, and all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen, in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and jewels and with pearls. For in a single hour, all of this wealth has been laid waste. And the shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors, and all whose trade is the sea stood far off and cried out as the smoke of her burning. What city was like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads and they wept and mourned, crying out, Alas, alas, for the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth. For in a single hour she had been laid waste. We see here, just as I was saying, all of those who found prosperity in this world economic system will cry out and lament over this system falling, but none of them are lamenting their sin or the brokenness or the way in which this world was being destroyed. All they are lamenting is, oh, I don't have as much stuff anymore. I'm losing everything. However, the reaction in heaven is far different. Verse 20 gives us just this tiny little glimpse into what's going on in heaven while all this is happening on earth. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Because all of those who are in the presence of God know that this is just and righteous and that the kingdom of God is coming, and that the will of God is coming upon the earth as it is in heaven. This is the prayers of the people. The cries of the martyrs are finally being answered. As those who are under the altar, the martyrs of God cry out, How long, O Lord, must we wait for you to bring justice into the world? And God is answering them. And the last stanza of this funeral dirge speaks of the final destruction of the beast's kingdom. Verse 21 through 24. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon the great city be thrown down with violence 
and it will be found no more. Then the sound of the harpists and musicians of flute players and trumpeters will be heard in you no more, and a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more, and the light of the lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of the bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more, for your merchants were the great ones of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of the prophets and the saints and all who have been slain on earth. That is the final destruction being spoken of over this great Babylonian system. It's the finale. And an angel throws a destructive millstone into the sea. And this is poetic because if you've read Luke, you might remember this verse. It says, It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and be cast into the sea than to cause one of the little ones to sin. I think it's God's poetic way of taking that same millstone and casting it down upon Babylon and saying, you've caused the entire world to fall into this. The Babylonian system of politics and religion and economics is causing the entire world to dive deeper and deeper into sin, and so God destroys it. And everything that makes up this kingdom, the religious and the economic, disappears. The music, the crafts, the food preparation, the lights, the weddings, the merchants, all of it is stopped. And it says, because the blood of the prophets and saints was found in Babylon. And in this somber moment, we see the full wrath of God completely and totally stopping the destruction of his world and of his people. As a side note, all of this talk about Babylon, the city, so many Bible scholars say, well, there's got to be a city. It's got to be Babylon. And we say, well, there is no Babylon. Babylon fell a long time ago. But there's this new renewed idea in the Middle East to rebuild Babylon. And this has happened just in our time. Saddam Hussein, 30, 40 years ago, decided that he wanted to rebuild Babylon. He started to build a music theater. Now there's a Babylon festival in that part of the world. And just this summer, they are going to rebuild the famed Ishtar Gate in Babylon. There's this desire in the world right now to bring back Babylon. Again, I don't know if that means it's happening now, but we look for the signs. We look for the things that are happening because many scholars say, see, there's got to be a city that's coming back. We're watching these things happen. I was talking to my wife about this last night. And she made a really good point that I hadn't thought about. So she's smart. And she was saying, so often, we ask God, why do you keep letting these things happen? We see what's going on in the world. We see the brokenness. We see people dying. We see all these things. We say, God, how long, oh Lord? But then we read the story of Revelation and we say, wow, God, that seems kind of harsh. Like, does it really have to be like that? Maybe not you, but I do. I read them like, oh, that's, that's a lot. We have cried out to God, God, why do you keep letting these things happen? And then when God finally says, all right, it's done, enough, then we say, well, maybe not that bad. 
He is answering the prayers of his people who for thousands of years have been crying out, How long, O Lord, will this continue? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's answering those prayers in Revelation. Long before even the New Testament times, all the way back to Psalms, King David cries out to the Lord, Would you deliver my enemies to me? Habakkuk starts out his whole book by whining to God, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear or cry to you violence and you will not save? This has been the prayers of the people for thousands of years and God is answering them in Revelation. And So we can look at Revelation and just say, that sounds really harsh. Or we can look at Revelation and say, God is doing exactly what we've been begging him to do all along. To bring righteousness back to a broken world. And yet again, I'm blown away by his patience because he has waited all this time to do it. He's allowed generations and generations of people to come because they would repent and be given grace and mercy. And only once that's all done does he say, okay, enough. Eventually, he will say the time has come and he will destroy all the things that bring destruction on his creation And he will set things right again. Because he is a God who is all about redemption and he will redeem the creation itself. Worship team, you guys can come up. The kingdom of God is coming. We don't know when. We don't know the day or the hour. And we can look at things that are happening in the world and we say, it seems like it's coming. And it does. His will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And there's going to be an end to this system that we see building, this religious and political and economic system that is building and we're watching it. You can see politicians now talking about we need a one world government. You can see all of these things happening and all of it is going to go down. And when when that time comes, all of us will either be found living, pursuing our own pleasure And taking part in this Babylonian system and just saying, eh, whatever you want. Or we will be found pursuing Jesus. We have to ask ourselves a question. Who is the Lord of my life? Is it Jesus? Or have you set yourself as the Lord of your life. Because that's the whole pursuit of man-made religion that started in original Babylon and saying, I want to be in charge of me. I know better. How will you be found? If that day does come, if the day of the Lord is within our lifetimes, how will we be found? Pursuing Jesus? Or just pursuing what I want? Pursuing the kingdom of God His kingdom, His glory, His justness, and His righteousness is what I hope that all of us are found pursuing. Let's pray. Lord, the book of Revelation is difficult and yet also so simple. There's all these things to understand and John trying to explain things and yet really at the end all it comes down to is What are we living this life for? And I pray that all of us will be found living our lives 
for you, for the love that you have for your people and those that you are pursuing, and for your kingdom to come.